Okay, I think we're all situated here. Nope, maybe not. All right, well, today I am here to uh, give you the message in an official capacity with the Norfolk Rescue Mission. So every summer, uh, myself and some of the other pastors will go around to different churches in Norfolk and Northeast Nebraska, kind of reminding people that we exist and uh, telling people what we do. So I'll be uh, sharing a message with you as well as just uh, kind of giving you an informative talk about the mission and, and what we do. So we're going to take a, a look this morning at Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 9 through 17. This is going to be a familiar passage to most of you, I'm sure. Uh, we're talking about this and especially how it relates to uh, our work at the Norfolk Rescue Mission. So Romans 10... 9 through 17, and with any passage, and especially this one, um, what's talked about here is connected to the verses right before it. This chapter is connected to the chapter before it, and the whole book all flows together, but I don't think you want to hear me preach on the entire book of Romans this morning. So just, of course, keep in mind there's a lot of context here that we just don't have time to get into, but let's read through these verses first and discuss this here. So Starting in verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So again, this is a very familiar passage. I want to kind of just go through this. Just remind us of a few things as we look at this this morning. So here's one of the, probably the clearest examples in scripture of salvation. What does it mean to be saved? How are you saved? And so let's break this down here. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I think we, we forget or we confuse what the word confess means a lot of times. To confess means to agree. And so you're confessing to a crime or you're agreeing with the police or with the judge or whoever that what you did was wrong. So here we're confessing and we're agreeing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is Lord over all. Now this statement is just packed full of importance, is packed full of all sorts of things. Now to believe that Jesus is God Well, that's not quite enough, you know, just to believe that there is a God. A lot of people think that's all it takes. We believe there's a God. I think the vast majority of people on earth believe there is a God of some sort. But obviously that's not enough to save anyone. You know, James tells us that even the demons believe that and shudder. So that's not enough. And so this is, if you confess, you agree with God that Jesus is Lord. So Jesus, who's Jesus? He's a great moral teacher. So you believe that Jesus is a great moral teacher and then you're good to go. He, no, it's, it's, it's more than that. You have to believe and understand what the scriptures teach us and tell us about who Jesus is. And we know from the scriptures that Jesus is fully God, fully man, uh, a perfect union of those two. 
and that Jesus lived a life of sinless perfection while he was here on earth. And, and the importance of that is, is mind-blowing, that if Jesus hadn't lived a, a perfect life, not only would he not, he, he not be a perfect sacrifice on our behalf, uh, but also we would then be required to fulfill the entirety of the law, but Jesus fulfilled that law for us. And we could go on and on and on and on about who is Jesus and the importance of Jesus, but that, that's, I think, the first thing we need to understand in this passage is we need to have a complete biblical understanding of Jesus, that Jesus was not just a good moral teacher. He was not just a nice guy. He's not just there to help you out of your problems and tough situations, but this is Lord God Almighty, the perfect one, the only one that's able to save us. And it says we are to confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is in charge of everything, including us and our lives. We are submitting ourselves to him. We are acknowledging that he and only he can save us from our sins. He and only he is the answer to all of our problems and situations, that we cannot do it on our own, that he is Lord supreme over everything. He goes on to say, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So you're believing in your heart, the innermost part of you. And this is one of those many times in Scripture where they're not talking about the actual physical organ, but they're talking about that that innermost part of your being. And deep down, what really matters, you must believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Because we can say all sorts of things, we can believe all sorts of things, but when it really comes down to it, what do we really believe? What do we really think? Now, you can believe... Oh, yeah, I love roller coasters. Roller coasters are great. I ride on them all the time. And then you get in line for the roller coaster and you're going, hmm, I don't know if I believe this so much anymore. You know, so our convictions can change. And this is more talking about that you, you deep down believe uh, with every part of who you are that God raised Jesus from the dead. Why is that so important? Well, that is the, the ultimate fulfillment of Jesus' life and ministries, this resurrection from the dead. And this tells us so much here. Again, this is another statement packed full of importance and information. But that God approved of Jesus' sacrifice. God brought him back from the dead. And Jesus did everything he had to do. He paid the price in full and God raised him again. So a lot of times we think about salvation and we, we even look at this first and we go, okay, Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. Okay, we're good. But there's so much more to it. And it's so important that when we see a statement like this, we understand the context in which it's in. We understand the context of which it's in, not just within the book of Romans, but within Scripture itself. And we see the importance and understanding of knowing the gospel completely and fully. There's so many false gospels out there. There's so many wrong ideas. There's so many things that might get close, but not just right. And so that's why we need to understand what the Scripture tells us. That if you understand who Jesus truly is, you acknowledge him as your Lord, you submit yourself to him. You understand that God raised him from the dead physically, not spiritually like some of the cults say, or figuratively or anything else, but physically he rose from the dead. Then you will be saved. And Paul kind of explains it more in verse 10. He says, it's the heart, or for with the heart one believes and is justified. There's that word justified. Again, another word of great importance in this passage uh, our, our, our sinful record is exchanged with Christ's holy record. His righteousness is given to us, and we give him our awful sinfulness. That's an amazing thing. And so it's with our heart we believe, and God justifies us. 
And it's with the mouth one confesses we agree with God and we are therefore saved. Now notice in here what it does not say. That's just as important as what it does say. And what it does not say can, you know, the importance of that can change from culture to culture. But, but in our contemporary westernized Christian-ish culture, you know, nowhere in here does it say you must be baptized in order to be saved. I don't remember seeing that in those verses. It's not even in the Greek, I don't think, in there, hidden anywhere. Uh, nowhere does it say you must attend church so often. Nowhere does it say you must go through this or that ritual. Nowhere does it say that. And it's very, very simple with what it says. It's a belief and it's acceptance of who Christ truly is and what he has done for us. Paul goes on. So the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's these verses in particular that drew me to this passage as I think about that in, in light of what we do at the Norfolk Rescue Mission. Uh, we believe that everyone has that possibility of being saved. They need to hear the gospel. They need to be saved. There's no distinction there. You know, we, we deal with all sorts of people from all walks of life. We've had people there that have had doctorate degrees, and I didn't believe it at first and checked, and they really did, and have lots of people that never even went to high school or junior high. And we have people from America and people from different countries all over the world and every possible religion. I think we've had somebody there at the mission. But they all come with one thing in common, at least the vast majority of them, is that they are not saved. They do not understand the gospel. They do not know Jesus And they think they're coming there for another reason, but they're coming there first and foremost to hear the gospel. And so verses like this are encouraging. It doesn't matter where you come from or how much you screwed up your life or what you did. Or there, there is hope in the gospel. There's no distinction. You don't have to be a a American. You don't have to be Westernized. You don't have to be a certain ethnicity. You don't have to have gone to church. You don't have to know all the terms. You you just come. You hear the gospel, you respond to it as we looked at there earlier, and you are saved. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's especially important for the folks at the mission, because a lot of the people that come through the mission, everyone has given up on them, including themselves. And their family has turned their back on them, and their friends have turned their back on them, and employers have said, forget it, and they've about given up. And we've met so many people that this is their last shot. This is their last hope. We're going to try this, and I don't know what else to do. And so there's that hope there that, yes, there is hope for you. You can be saved. Your life can be changed, and not because you go through some program, not because you say this or do that, but because Christ can come into your life and transform you completely, and there is hope for all of us in that. It's easy for us, I think, to think, well, you know, I'm a bad person, but I'm not as bad as that guy. And I'm not a bad person, but at least I didn't do what that person did. Well, a lot of the folks at the mission, they're the ones at the bottom of the pile. They're the ones that everyone points to and says, well, at least I'm not him. At least I'm not him. Well, they're them. (laughs) They're the ones that have been in and out of prison and jail. They're the ones that have dabbled in drugs and alcohol and all other sorts of unspeakable sins. But there is still hope and salvation for them. There is no distinction there. We are no better. We're sinners. We couldn't save ourselves. We didn't save ourselves. God didn't look down on us and say, oh, well, I see who you are, and I see how nice you are and how great your life is, and I want you on my team. And 
we're all equally rotten, unable to save ourselves. Last part of this passage, Paul goes on and says that, how then can they call on him in whom they have not believed? So he shows this progression uh, of, uh, of events here and the necessity of evangelism and mission work. He said, how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Someone has to tell people how to be saved. I mean, that sounds very elementary, but that's something we forget about. You know, we think, oh, those people out there, boy, they need Jesus. I'm sure somebody will tell them. And then we go about our merry way and think it's okay. But somebody has to go to them and present the gospel to them. Somebody had to go to you and present the gospel to you or you would not be saved. And maybe for you, it wasn't a missionary or it wasn't, a, you know, you weren't in a mission or somewhere like that. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a friend. I mean, I don't know. Everybody's got different stories. But somebody had to tell us. And so that's what Paul is saying here. We, we have to tell them. You can't believe unless you hear. You can't hear unless someone preaches it. And no one can preach unless they go to them and tell them the gospel. So he goes on and says, uh, verse 17 there, just to wrap this up. He says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's the only way that we're saved. So when we think about the mission and we think about it in light of this passage, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about uh, rescue missions or homeless shelters or whatever, however you want to say it, however you want to think about it. Um, and, you know, and I thought, especially when I first started, this is going to be kind of more like church work, uh, but it's way more like missionary work than it is like church work. And there are similarities. You know, I get to go home to my own house. I'm not living in a thatched hut somewhere on the savannas of Africa or something. And I'm not away from my culture all the time, but there is a, certainly a disconnect there. And so at the mission, I, I think of us a lot more like missionaries we are going to this other culture. And it's this subculture that exists right among us here. The guests that come to the mission speak a different language. I mean, they speak English, but they use all sorts of terms and phrases that most people would be unfamiliar with unless you're in that world. They also worship false gods. They don't worship the same God that we do. They worship the gods of alcohol, the gods of drugs. They will do anything and sacrifice anything in order to appease those gods. And sadly, the vast majority of people that come to the mission are bound up in the sins uh, dealing with alcohol or drugs. There are very, very, very few uh, that have not had something to do with that in their past. And they are, they are vengeful gods. They are nasty gods. And they demand an awful lot from the people. And so they come broken and they come destitute, but they still come with this steadfast devotion to these false gods. And, and the world and even some in the church will tell them, well, oh boy, yeah, that addiction, that's a tough thing. You're never going to get rid of that, and it's always going to be there. And, but it, it's just a sin. It's just a, an issue that maybe it's, it's a big issue and has big consequences, but there is hope, and that hope is in the gospel. And so not that all the other programs and things that deal with that are wrong, but I think they're not ge- dealing with the root cause, and that is there are people that need to know God. They need to know Christ. And that's what they really need to understand is that they desperately need Jesus, that he is the only help for them. It's not this program. It's not this next job. There's so many people that come through the mission and like, well, I just got to get, 
got to get into this next apartment, then I'll be doing good. But then we see him again. And that's a sad statistic that the vast majority of the people that come through the mission we see again and again, especially the ones on the short-term program. They'll come through and they'll say, hey, I'm doing good, I got a job, and then they lose the job and they lose the apartment because they continue to worship at the altar of alcohol and drugs and it continues to take everything from them. And so Jesus is their only hope. You know, sometimes people will say, they'll say, oh, how's so-and-so doing? Oh, they're doing great, they're sober, but they haven't been to church in six months and they shacked up with their boyfriend and they're, well, they're not doing good at all, they're doing horrible. But there's this idea in that world of as long as you're sober, then everything else is okay and forgivable. As long as you're not doing drugs or drinking, that's okay. But that's not Christianity. Christianity doesn't say sobriety and is the ultimate thing. Christianity says that uh, Jesus is the ultimate thing, living a life that is honoring and pleasing to him in every way, not just abstaining from excessive alcohol and drugs and things like that, but in everything, that we shouldn't lie, we shouldn't gossip, we shouldn't live with boyfriends and girlfriends, we shouldn't do any of these things. We should live a life that is pleasing and honoring to him. And, and that's really the, the essence of, of what the mission is all about. We have these people coming in from different culture that do not understand Christianity. And that's the thing, too. We live in this post-Christian world nowadays. But the vast majority of people that come into the mission, uh, especially if they've never been in the church, which is more and more of them, uh, they don't know the Bible stories. They're not familiar with common Christian phrases and expressions. Uh, you, you've got to start at ground zero with a lot of them. You've got to go back to the very basics. And we do an awful lot of stuff um, dealing with creation and Genesis at the mission because you've got to set that foundation because there is nothing there. Most of the people's uh, religious background is a bizarre patchwork of things that they've taken from all sorts of different avenues. Their grandma told me this and a friend said that and I read this in a book and this sounds good. And it's not, it doesn't line up with any one religion or denomination. It's just whatever they think sounds good. And it's that whole idea of just, you know, whatever feels good, just, just go with that. And so they've adapted these bizarro ideas of who is God and what does it mean to be saved. And that's sad because you sit down with almost everybody and you ask them about their salvation. You, you present the gospel to them and you get to the question of, or at least I always ask the question, of you, if you were to die today, where would you go? Almost every single one of them says heaven. I'd go to heaven. Of course I'd go to heaven. And it, but it's for a variety of very wrong reasons it's well i've done more good than bad you know that's the, probably the most common one well i've never killed anybody or i've never been to prison in the few that could say that or, i mean there's different different things that people say but it's extremely rare to hear somebody give the right answer it's always something else every once in a while you'll get a very honest answer well i'd go to hell oh okay <laughs> all right then well let me let me keep going then let me tell you the good news but most of the time, people think they're going to heaven because we, we, we live in this world where if, hey, if that makes you feel good, then you believe it. And they believe it for the very wrong reasons. So um, I want to, as, as I go through this, I'll keep talking about what we do. But I kind of want to explain a little bit about the mission and what we do and different programs that we have and so you can kind of have a better idea of what we're all about. Uh, we are kind of a, a distant cousin, an offshoot of the Open Door Mission, and at least that's where our origins are in Omaha. We're not connected with them directly anymore, uh, but it was Pastor Tom Beatty who worked at the Open Door Mission, and 
uh, was at a conference once, I don't remember where the conference was, and ran into a group of people from Norfolk. And those people were, were talking to him and they got to kind of an idea that there, there existed a need in Norfolk for a rescue mission. Now at the time, I don't think the majority of people in Norfolk would have said, yeah, we need a rescue mission here. But there was enough of the Christian leadership at the time that said, yeah, we need, we need something like that here. So he set out, did the, did the legwork, and then eventually in 1996 founded the rescue mission here in Norfolk. And we've always been at the same location on 9th Street. Uh, that, that older brick building there was the original spot where all the ministries of the mission were. All the women stayed in one side, the men on the other, the families up in one corner, the offices here. It was pretty jam-packed in there. If you've ever been to the mission today and seen the dining hall up there, which is kind of the hub of everything that we do, the old dining hall was this tiny little room. We had to eat in shifts, and I mean, it's, it's come a long way. But he founded the mission there in 1996, and, uh, and things took off from there. Now, the people that we have uh, here in Norfolk that utilize the mission services are not the typical street people that you'd see in bigger cities, even like uh, cities of, like Omaha or Lincoln, but especially places like Denver, Chicago. Have you ever been to places like that or New York? And you have kind of the, the hobo population, you know, the stereotypical guy pushing the shopping cart with the cans in it. We, we don't have that here so much. Every once in a great while, we'll get somebody that kind of drifts through that would fit that profile. But most of the people that stay at the mission here in Norfolk would look like anyone else. You could see them in the store. You'd see them working. You'd have no idea that they're living at the mission, that they're struggling with drugs and alcohol. They look pretty, pretty normal. And so that's why I think a lot of times people don't realize the need for the mission. What are you talking about? We don't got homeless people walking around downtown and sleeping in tents in the park and you know, what do we need a mission for? But there's a huge, desperate need for people that are struggling with drugs and alcohol. Meth is an epidemic uh, with people in this part of the country and, and beyond. And alcoholism has been around since the time of Noah and before. I mean, it, it doesn't go away either. And so that, that great need, which is just kind of right under the surface, is a, is a huge, huge uh, reason why the mission exists. Uh, the mission continued to grow uh, in 1999, we opened up the Hope House, which is where all the women's ministries are located. Uh, that was a, a building, a, a large house that was carved up into apartments. That was right next to uh, the mission building. And that really helped to move all the women over to that building, give us some more room. In 2002, we added what we call the Faith House, which is on the, the corner from there. Uh, that's where the men that are on the long-term new life program, they live there. And that was a, enabled us to spread out a little more. And then finally, in 2004, uh, we were uh, renting what is now that Shoppers Express gas station there on 9th and Norfolk. And the rent was getting high, and so it was cheaper to actually build a new building. So somehow, and this was all done legally... <laughs> They fit this giant three-story building right in between two houses there, on, which is now the administration building, and that went up in 2004. The top floor of that building has the, the men that are on the short-term programs. They live there in two dorms. We have the chapel and the dining hall on the second floor, and on the first floor, the basement floor, is offices and things like that. It was that same year that Pastor Tom felt the call to go out to western Nebraska to help uh, struggling mission out that way. So he left, and that's when Pastor Will 
Harrigan took over and he's been our director ever since then. So that's the brief history. I mean, there's been a lot of other things, a lot of staff that have come and gone uh, over that time, but that's kind of the highlight there. Uh, I want to talk about the programs of the mission too. I think if people are unfamiliar with the mission, we think that it's just we just take in people and we give them food, we give them a bed, and maybe there's a chapel service, I don't know. But there's a lot more to it than that. Everyone that comes to the mission fits into one of three programs, whether they like it or not. <laughs> Some are more structured than others. The, the more common one is what we call the overnight guest program, and that is men and women that come, and they say, yeah, I don't want to change my life. I just want a bed. I want something to eat. I want to go get that job. I need that apartment. And so they're with us a pretty short time. Uh, during that time, uh, they're required to go to a chapel service every evening. We have a staff that will sit down with them and talk to them one-on-one to get a, kind of gauge where they're at, present the gospel to them. We don't require that they be saved. We just require that they respectfully listen, and we hope and pray that they will respond to the gospel. But those folks are with us anywhere from three weeks to a maximum of three months. Most of them are not here that long. They find a place, and they, they're, they're, they're looking at, I've got to get out of here as fast as I can. So they're not wanting to be there, and they're out pretty quick. Our other big program we would love everyone to sign up for is the New Life program. That's people that come and they say, boy, my life is a mess and I don't know what to do and I need help. And these are people that at least initially are open to the gospel and hopefully by the time they actually enter the program they have accepted Christ and are wanting to begin a walk with Him. On that program, uh, they are staying with us long term. They're with us about a year. uh, And during that time, they do work around the mission They attend classes every day to kind of give them a good foundation in Christianity, kind of a crash course. Let's catch you up with the church here since you are just getting used to this. And then that's another big part of it is we get them plugged into a church. And we stress that more than anything is you've got to go to church. You've got to get to know people in the church. You've got to get the church know you. Because once you leave the mission, if you're not actively involved in a church, you'll, you'll fall away. And sadly, that's true. Those that have stuck with the church and are serious about it, they continue to do well. Those that have not and kind of go whenever, they drop off the radar pretty quick. Um, Then we have also a Samaritan program, we call it. That is for folks that don't really fit into these other two, typically because they have some sort of a physical or mental handicap that prohibits them from getting work um, or they're here for just a short time. Like there's a guy that, I'm here just for a week, and then I'm going to treatment. Well, it would be no, make no sense to put him in the New Life program if he's resistant to that, and it would make no sense to tell him to go get a full-time job. So that he's in this kind of halfway program, and they, they stay with us usually a little longer. And those that have a, a physical or mental disability, we try to get them hooked up with a, a caseworker that helps them for the day-to-day stuff and finds them a place to stay and figures out how they're going to pay for it and things like that. So that that process takes a bit longer. Other things that we do, though, we have a lot of just community services as well. Uh, We have three meals a day, every day of the year. Um, We serve, on average, about 100 plates a day between all three meals, and those are open to the public. And we do get a lot of people from the outside that come to the mission and eat a meal. And there's some that we call the regulars. They're there almost every single day. Um, some of them have their own places to live and some don't, and it's, it's, it's an eclectic mix. But that's a whole other group of people, though, that 
need to hear the gospel. Those that come to supper, which is the, the biggest meal, they're required to attend chapel first before they eat. And so then, then even those from the outside have an opportunity to hear the gospel. We also give away uh, food boxes for those that need it, clothing, furniture, houseware type things uh, to anyone that asks. The only requirement we have is that they attend the chapel service first. We give them this little form and they come back and get whatever they want. But sadly, that is a hindrance to a lot of people. If you go to chapel, forget this. Like we'll, we'll literally give you anything you want, anything in the shed, food, clothes, because we, we are blessed with a lot of stuff. Uh, but that's, that's a hindrance to a lot of people. But most other agencies have way more hoops to jump through than that, but that uh, turns some people off. We also have a very active jail ministry program. We see that as a very big part of what we do. Um, Pastor Tom, who started the mission, was saved in jail, and he did a lot of jail ministry before he began to work at the Open Door Mission. And so that's continued to be a big part of what we do at our mission. Um, we have a lot of ministry in Madison County and Pierce County and Antelope County. So those three especially is where the majority of the jail ministry takes place, but also to a lesser extent in Cedar, Boone, and Knox County as well. So most of the counties around here. There's another mission that we partner with in Columbus that takes some of that, and because of their proximity, you know, some of, there's some overlap there. So they have some of the southern counties. Uh, but jail ministries is very important. There's a large volunteer group that works with uh, Chaplain John Allers, who is our director of jail ministries. And they go into the jails and they do Bible studies with them. They'll visit with them one-on-one. And we encourage those people, once they get out of jail, come to the mission. Come to the mission and get stable. Find a job. Find a place to stay so you don't go right back into some nasty situation and end up in jail again. So that's a big part of what we do. Um, There's lots of ways that you can serve at the mission and help the mission, some of which are more involved than others. Um, a, a big popular thing is for groups to prepare and serve a supper. They have a lot of different churches or community groups that will come in and do a supper at the mission that gives them a chance to meet the people, to talk with them, and, and to serve in a very practical way. We're always looking for people to lead chapel services, uh, to ease the, the burden on the evening pastor that they don't have to come up with a message every single night. It also gives some variety in there as well. I'm always looking for people to teach a class to those that are on the long-term New Life program. Uh, We also have a class for those that are on the Samaritan program, too. Um, So having somebody come in and teach a class once or on an ongoing basis, that's certainly something that we would be interested in getting help with. Getting involved in the jail ministry, there's always a constant need for people to go down and uh, visit with these people in the different county jails. Um volunteer to cover a shift in the men's or women's ministries. Those are the brave few that do that, but that is a need. Uh, we, we have, uh, there's about 10 of us on staff, but that's because we're a 24-7 operation, so we're still spread pretty thin. So you get somebody that's on vacation and then somebody else that's sick and uh, somebody's pulling a double. Or I mean, it, it can get pretty, pretty tricky. So that's always a big need as well. We have mailing projects every month that... Uh, we let people know what's going on through newsletters. And so to save costs, we do a lot of the stuff in-house, stuffing envelopes and stamping and things like that. So we always need volunteers for that. Uh, helping with our annual book sale, which is coming up at the end of August. Um, 
there's a lot of sorting and stacking and organizing that gets done before that. Uh, but that's proved to be a very popular and fruitful way to earn some money. Um, people give us all their books and we turn around and sell them. And so that's a big fundraiser for the mission. Uh, donations, everything we get at the mission is donated. So from the food we eat to the furniture that's there, I mean, everything. We don't have budgets for new furniture. Or we don't have budgets for food. Uh, if Roxanne, who works in the kitchen, if she needs something, we hope we have like a hy gift card that somebody donated. But we don't, we don't have money to go just get whatever. So we kind of make what we have. So any kind of donation is great. Uh, food, well, I got this leftover thing from this party. We'll use it. Bring it over. You know, I got this old couch, and it still works, but we're upgrading. Well, we'll take it. I mean, anything that you can think of. We, we like to uh, get people to think of it as, you know, if you're, if you have nothing and you're just starting out in a new apartment, what would you need? Those are the type of things that we need at the mission to give to people that are just starting out with nothing. So you're going to need furniture, you're going to need plates, you're going to need silverware, you're going to need a table and chairs. I mean, all those little things that you, you know, we don't even think about because they've always been there. They, they don't have anything. So we help them out that way. Um, also, just financial support. The mission receives no government funds, no United Way money. Uh, all of our funding comes from private individuals, churches, things like that. Uh, so that's always a great need. Um, but probably the biggest thing we need is prayer. Uh, we could really use your prayer when you think about the mission. Pray for us. It's really the front lines of spiritual battle there. Uh, we get people that are knee-deep in the most sinful, nasty things that are going on around here, and they, they show up at the mission. And so pray for the staff. Uh, it, it could be a very tough uh, job at times. It's not, certainly not all bad, uh, but it's got big highs and big lows. Like, for example, uh, this week we celebrated a graduation of one of the men on our New Life program, and that's always a great thing, and we're happy. He's been doing really great, and he's continuing to do good. The same day, literally 15 minutes before that graduation, one of our other people on the New Life program uh, was involved in some nasty stuff, and they had to let her go. And it's just, you're like, oh, okay, now I've got to be happy because this guy's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's like that almost every day where there's just something great and something bad. Somebody ruins their life even more and somebody accepts Christ and starts walking the right way. So there's a lot of ups and downs that way. So pray for the staff, but really pray for the guests too. They're at very vulnerable points of their life and points of decision where they need to really decide, am I going to follow Christ or not? And I can't tell you how many times that, I've known people that have very shortly thereafter, after leaving the mission, have died. Uh, and it's, I don't say that for shock value, but it's just a fact. Um, you know, I don't know, aside from older family members and things, many people that have died before I started working at the mission, but there has been a lot of them. And every once in a while, we'll kind of think back on, oh, yeah, I remember that guy and remember him. And it's sad. But that because of the life they live and the crime and the drugs and the alcohol, it happens a lot. So that, that importance of the gospel, the urgency of the gospel is certainly there. They, they need to hear the good news of the gospel because this may literally be the last time that they hear it. And of course, that's true of everybody, but it's more poignant in that situation. And continue to pray for us that just money and resources will come in. Uh, this year, financially, has not been as rocky as other years. Last year was very rocky, very terrible. <laughs> Paychecks were extremely late. It was very thin. Um, surprisingly, nobody quits or moves on because of that. I don't know how we all do it, but God provides. That's, that's how it happens. 
but pray that that will continue to happen. Um, so yeah, those are some of the, the more urgent prayer requests. Because this is a, a smaller group, uh, is there any questions about the mission that I can answer for you? Yes, sir. I started in 05, so I've been there 13 years now. I'm one of the old timers now. (laughs) Only Pastor Will has got more time than me. (laughs) Yes. Yep. That is true. Different last names, so it doesn't always... uh, isn't always apparent, but yeah. No, they're very similar, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and if you had told me when, when Tom started the mission, I was, let's see, I would have been 15. And so we moved up here, and I hated the mission because I was in high school, and they're taking me out of Omaha, where we live, to some little farmer town here in Norfolk, and I didn't, I didn't like the town, I didn't like the mission, didn't like anything, and it was, a, it was a rough time. So if you had told me, yeah, you'll be working there for over a decade, I would have, would have laughed in your face, but that's, that's kind of how God works. Um, you know, I, there was a point in college where I said um, to God, I'll do anything you want me to do, and I was serious, <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay, he's going to call me to be a missionary to Africa or something like that, but he did not. Uh, instead, God worked in my heart, and over the next few years, um, really shaped me and changed me into uh, wanting to do mission work specifically. And and I applied at missions all over the country, and heard back from a few, but nothing was really working out. And of all the places, it was the Norfolk Rescue Mission that had an opening. And I thought, why not? I'll give it a shot. And one thing led to another, and here I am. So God works in interesting ways. <laughs> Never would have expected that, but uh, he has confirmed to me time and time again, this is where he wants me to be right now. And so I, I'm attempting to faithfully serve him that way. If you ever want a tour of the mission, we're happy to do that. Come by anytime, and we'll show you around and you know, let you know what's going on there. Uh, any other questions about anything? We have, uh, we have housing for them. Um, we have uh, room in the family building, and sometimes if the kids are small enough or if they're all girls, we can put them over in the women's building too. Uh, families are probably the most challenging group that we have. Uh, it, it's very tough to work with them. Even if they're you know, nice and the kids are well-behaved, and it, it's just a, a totally different situation than dealing with single men and single women. Uh, and we do get families often. We don't get a lot of them at once, but usually we always have at least one. Um, and I feel so bad for the kids because we say a lot of times the, the kids are truly the only innocent people at the mission. Everybody else has got there because of their own sins and poor decisions, but the kids have not. And so it just breaks your heart to see the kids. And they're typically being tossed around from one place to the next, this shelter and that shelter and this person's couch and that guy's basement. And one school to another, and so it's really, really hard on them. We really feel sorry for them. They've sadly 
had, uh, I've been there long enough now, where we had a mom, or no, it was a dad and three kids, and now we've had two of the kids at the mission as adults. And so it's, we don't want to see that cycle continue either. That's, that's pretty rough. We do not. Um, we allow the moms at first to stay with the kids until they can kind of figure that out with daycare and with uh, uh, working and things like that. Every situation is a little different there, but um, most of the people, we, we send them out first thing in the morning to go look for work or to work. Uh, but with the moms, we give them a lot more latitude in that way. To Roxanne works with them more one-on-one to get those things figured out. And uh, so, yeah, they're not just left there. We've thought about that before, but <laughs> that would open up a whole other world, and we'd need more staffing and more things, and yeah, so we haven't gone down that road yet. Any other questions or thoughts? I know this wasn't a traditional sermon by any means, but uh, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for uh, what you guys do with the mission, and especially for uh, Greg and Linda for helping out at the mission in, in many ways over the years, and that is greatly appreciated. So continue to pray for us. Um, like I said, that's a great need. Uh, there are times that it can be very, very discouraging. So remember to lift us up and lift up the guests there at the rescue mission. So let's close in a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this day, and we do thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you've given us in, in our life, and Lord, we want to lift up those that do not know you, specifically those that do not know you at the rescue mission. Uh, They are in desperate need of you, and they don't know it. And they're searching anywhere and everywhere else for you. And Lord, I just pray that while they're at the mission, that they would hear and respond to the gospel. They would continue to grow in you. Their lives would be changed as a result. Thank you for everybody that supports the mission in the various capacities and I just pray that you would continue to bless the mission and its efforts to reach all of those that don't know you. In your name we pray. Amen.